Good evening, everyone. I'm Candice, and I'll be bringing you the Bible reading for tonight. So you can turn to 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. That's 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of God. Thank you, Candice, for that Bible reading. Good evening, church. We are going to get into God's Word. Uh, we are running a, just a short series as we end of the year, which is titled, This is Life. And we're looking at uh, just loving God during the December period. Uh, we said that December and December are different. December is a lifestyle. And very often what happens in December is that we close off our morals. Uh, we behave badly. Uh, we spend our money recklessly. I don't know, there's something in the air that uh, propels us to do that. And so for that reason, we want to just prepare our hearts as we get into the December period to just love God more. And that's why we are looking at this series. And John speaks a lot about loving God, and we're going to see that this evening. I'm going to start off by praying, and then we're going to get into uh, God's Word. Please bow your heads as I do lead us in prayer. Speak to us, O Lord, tonight. Uh, Speak to us through your Word. Your word that is uh, from eternity, uh, your word that was made flesh and was revealed. And John testifies of this, your word. He tells of the deeds of Jesus. Uh, He tells us of what it means to follow him, to love him. And tonight I pray that you stir up our affections for Jesus, even as we look at your word. uh, That he would become greater in our hearts and that this world will become less and less. Father, as we prepare our hearts and our minds uh, to close off the year, I pray that our relationship with you may not stop. And so to that end, we pray that you would help us see something of your goodness through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, a very famous, um, famous in the um, evangelical Bible-believing churches uh, is this Scottish preacher by the name of uh, Thomas Chamler. He lived in the 1700s. Uh, he was uh, with Martin back in the day. Um, and, and so Thomas uh, writes this. I wanted, I was so tempted to just take his sermon because it is so powerful. You need to get yourself this sermon. It's quite old in its English. Some of the words I couldn't understand um, because of government school English. But he, like, he's powerful in the way that he speaks about love and about our affection for God. Um, the sermon is called The Expulsive Power of the New Affection. It is a great sermon. You can Google it, uh, you can read it, um, and it, you will find it very encouraging. And it is one sermon that deals with our passage this, this evening of this kind of love uh, that John speaks about, uh, the love of God versus the love 
of the world. And John says that those two loves are incompatible in the life of the Christian. You cannot both love God and the world. You cannot love the world and then say that you love God. And so Thomas Schemler in this sermon talks about the, the expulsive power. In other words, um, a power that expels uh, sin in our lives. And he says, if you are wanting as a believer to pursue the love of God, you cannot do so by just merely adopting religious behavior. Uh, there has to be a greater power that, ex- uh, that um, replaces uh, your, your love. So you cannot leave the love of the world without embracing a new and more powerful, powerful love. Uh, and so he calls this um, power, this new affection, or rather this sermon, expulsive power of the new affection, because he says for us to get rid of the love of sin in our lives, uh, we need to see God as much more beautiful than anything in this world. That is the only way. The only way for you to pursue God and his promises is to see him as much more beautiful as it is, to desire him more than you desire your sin. And that's the only way to replace the love for this world uh, with the love uh, for God. He says that the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. That the gospel has to work in your life and in your heart uh, to replace that old love that you have for your sin. That old love that we have for our sin. And I think he puts uh, his finger on it when he says this. Uh, when he makes the sum total of our obedience to God and our relationship with God something that has to do with our love. Uh, I wonder if you think about the Christian faith in that way, that it is a matter of affection and love. It is a matter of the things that we love. The things that we love uh, overflow into our behavior. If you want to know what somebody loves, in other words, you must just observe how they live. Um, And I think it's true throughout the whole of the Bible. It is true in Deuteronomy when God calls the, his children to love him with all of, the, of what they have. Um, it is at the heart of their obedience to him, a love for him. If you don't love God, you will love the world. And the only way to stop loving the world is, is by embracing the greater love that comes from, from God. Uh, that is um, what the Bible says. That is what John says. And that was, that's what Thomas Chamler says as he reflects on uh, the, Christian, the Christian life. Uh, that the true test of our behavior is not so much the legal behavior that we put in place. Don't do such and such. Uh, do this. Uh, stop going to such and such a place. Um, start going more and more to this place. Uh, this no way of getting rid of the things that we love by just putting more law and rules in our lives. Um, unless we love and are drawn by the love of God, we will always love uh, the th- those things. You may say, well, as a Christian, I love God. <laughs> Thomas Schemler, the Bible will say the true test of that love is your behavior. In other words, what you do with your time, what you prioritize the most, what you do with your money, what your heart tends to gravitate towards. That is the thing that's going to control your life. We live lives controlled by what we, what we love. Um, there's this picture of, um, because I've been following a lot of ADHD videos on, 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 on the Internet, um, and one of the, the videos is it observes this kid. And this kid is restless. 
So when they make him do math, he's just restless. You can see a time-lapse video of him fiddling around. He's just all over the place. And then they show you another video, a parallel video of him watching his favorite her favorite movie and you can see it's like the opposite uh, it's like you can see what he truly truly loves uh, that's the thing that he gravitates uh, towards that's the thing that his mind chooses to focus its attention on uh, we are shaped by the very things uh, that we love this december the decisions that you make are going to be shaped by the things that you love the decisions you make about your money your time um, or everything else in your life will be shaped by the things that you love. Uh, so the question is, how then are we going to live? Uh, what kind of attitude are we going to uh, employ? Have a look then at what John says as he contrasts these two ways of living, these two loves that are wrestling within us, uh, and he encourages us to pursue the one love. Have a look at verse 15, and have a look at the, two con- the contrast between these two different loves. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, so he calls us to not love the world, and then he goes on to explain what he means by the world, and we're going to come back uh, to that. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from this world, from the world. Verse 17, he gives the motivation for why we ought to be uh, loving the Father and not the world. And he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. Now the question that we should ask ourselves is this. What does John mean when he says, when he talks about the world? In fact, John, uh, in John's gospel and in the letters of John, you see this recurring word, the world, uh, on and on. Uh, it comes up. You remember the famous, famous uh, chapter, famous verse. Um, even if you're not a Christian, you know this verse. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16 of John. Uh, it talks about the love that God has towards the world. Um, what does it say? For God loved the world uh, in this way, uh, that while the world was sinful, while it was broken, uh, Christ, he sent his son uh, to die for this world. God loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, the punchline of that verse is on the world and the fact that God would love the world because the world according to the Bible is not just the physical world that we live in, it is the physical world that we live in that is under the dominion and the rule of uh, the prince of the air that we saw in Ephesians. It is the world, the system of the world that is united together against God and his Messiah. That is when the Bible talks about the world, that is what it's referring to. The system of the world united together against God and his king, Jesus. That is what the world means, uh, that, that word the world means, particularly in John's gospel. And it is revolutionary that God would love the world, that God would send his son into that world, into that system that rejects him and rejects him to the very cross that we're going to remember this evening, the world is just a system that is anti-God and anti-His Christ. 
Uh, you can go on and read in verses 18 onwards. When we talk about the Antichrist, it's not something <laughs> spooky or anything like that. It just means that this world that is up against the Lord and his anointed one. Uh, so that is the world. Now, what does it mean to love the world? Uh, if you grew up in church, so many things come to your mind when you hear the word don't love the world. Still remember listening to a powerful African American preacher reading from the from the King James version, and I still used to think that the King James is how God spoke. Do not love the world, nor the things of this world, because all that is in the world is the love of the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And, and so we grew up uh, in church having this idea and picture of loving the world. And sometimes it had to do with the preferences of the church you went to. So the world was anything that looked like or looked different to how we were. So if in our church we wear dresses to church, women, yeah, there are actually men who wear dresses to church in South Africa. Um, I will not say anything more offensive further. Um, But if you wear long dresses to church, then to be in the world was to rock up a church wearing a jean. In fact, in my grandmother's generation, she could not understand it. She could not understand a woman who wore a, a, a pants. So many of you will be in the world by those standards. There, there was a time in the life of the church that to sing songs that were authored by humans, instead of singing the Psalms, was considered to be part of being in the world. Um, and so the church uh, has made many of those claims uh, to talk about the love of the world um, as anything that drifted away from church tradition, anything that looked like it was not from, from us. If you had a tattoo, you were loving the world. If you had a TV screen in the 80s or so, that was the love uh, of the world. But I think that is ridiculous, isn't it? That is not what um, the Bible means, and the Bible is much deeper. And we'll see that even as we look at Mark, to say there's, the Bible is much, much more deeper. It's talking to the core things that you and I love deeply that we're not even aware that we love. Uh, that you can come to church and follow all those traditions, wear skirts, cover your head, uh, but at the heart of who you are, you are corrupt and you love the world. Uh, it is this desire to run the world our own way. It is this, the desire to be at the center of your own life. And I think that's the truth for many of us. All of us want to be the rulers of our own world. Uh, so that is what is at the core of loving the world. It has to do with things that are deeper than just our outward um, obedience and those things that look like Christian culture. Uh, it is deeper than that. Uh, loving the world also does not mean we exclude ourselves from the world. I wonder if you've ever been to those fancy estates where you, well, firstly, you have to struggle to get in. Uh, I've been to an estate that has facial recognition. I was like, yo, uh, this is, <laughs> this is uh, on another level. You can't just walk in in there. Um, you need a blood sample to uh, to go in there. And once you get in, you would swear that this thing is not in South Africa. Um, everything functions differently. Now, sometimes in Christian thought and mind, uh, we have this thinking that if we just 
exclude ourselves from the world if we just become holy and huddle together and not interact with those outsiders who will make us dirty um, by their worldview. If you don't listen to, I still struggle in my head to instill the thought in me when the students play Ama Piano on a Friday when we are at church, <laughs> something in me is not settled where I'm like, yeah, it feels like we are in the world, right? Uh, so this comes from back in the day of the church that I used to be in, where we created this culture of don't even listen to their music, okay? It is worldly music. Be holy. Um, so that's not what it means also to love the world. Uh, let's have a look at what it means. It's this lust of the flesh, this deep-seated desires that we have, the lust of the eyes, these things that we see in the world that are listening, that attract us, uh, those things that God has uh, called us not to uh, live by, to run away from. It is the pride of life, and one commentator says that the pride of life simply means uh, to love, to love, to shine, and to outshine others. To accumulate material wealth so that you can shine. How many of us love that? We love to shine deep in our hearts. We just love that. We just want to accumulate money so that we can look better than others. Uh, to shine and to outshine others. That is what um, loving the world looks like. Let's have a look at uh, how Jesus unpacks this for us as he contrasts the way of religion and the way of loving God deeply with what's inside of us. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 7. Uh, Mark chapter 7 is one of the interactions that Jesus has with religious people, and it goes to deeply to the heart of Obedience. It goes deeply to the heart of the things that we love and how those things work themselves out in how we behave. I'm going to pick it up from verses 3 to 4. Uh, this is his interaction with the Pharisees. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat... Let, let me pick it up uh, from verse 1. It makes more sense. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw some of his disciples ate with... Uh, ate with hands that were defiled and unwashed. And then Mark explains to us, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding on to the tradition of the elders. So these are guys who are dedicated to living a life that is pleasing to God. And they thought to themselves, uh, as they were interacting in the marketplace with Gentiles and the world around them, that they would, the world around them defiled them. And so they needed to, when they get home, ceremonially wash their hands so as to wash themselves of the filth of this world. And so they were wondering to themselves, why is it that Jesus' disciples are not doing the same thing? And so Jesus calls them out on their hypocrisy, and he says that they love cleaning the outside. Meanwhile, they are dirty on the inside. He likens them to graveyards that look beautiful on the outside, but deep inside they are dead. Uh, and that is the way of religion, uh, the way that says, no, let's, let's just take ourselves out of this world because this world defiles us. What is out there is what defiles us. And Jesus says, it is not so. The very uh, thing that is inside of you is the thing that defiles you. The very things that you love that are deep-seated in your heart are the things uh, that would destroy you. Have a look at... Um, 
verse 14. Let's jump over there as Jesus explains to them. And as he unpacks to them the heart of human behavior, the heart of the things that we love and that we worship. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, note that he goes on to the thing, the heart, the very thing, the very core of our being, the very thing that um, we use to love this world. Um, it, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled, thus he declared all, full, all foods clean. And this is the key one that I wanted us to see. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, that is from our heart, the desires of the flesh, the very core of who we are, the things that we see and enter, the, those things that enter our thoughts, those are the things that where our behavior stems from. For from within, out of the heart of the men, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus goes to the core of the things that govern our lives and those things are often the things that we love with our hearts, that our behavior flows from the inside out. So to not love the world is to, not, is to deal not so much with what's out there, but it is to deal with what's in here, the things that defile you, the things that your, your heart grapples with, the things that your hearts tend to gravitate towards. That is the world. Uh, the world is the world that is constituted by people with these evil thoughts. When we gather up and create a city called Midrand, guess what comes out? All of these things come out. And our culture is defiled because we are defiled. And Jesus says uh, we need to deal with that. We need to deal with the core of who we are. Uh, we need to reevaluate re our lives. And how do we do so? Well, we don't reevaluate our lives by implementing more rules. Uh, we don't do that. Uh, we uh, reevaluate our lives and tend by turning to the one who loves us. Uh, more than anything, by attending to the one whose promises are much more greater than the things uh, that we know and love. And that's what verse 17 does. As John calls us to not love the world, but to love the Father, he gives us a motivation. He gives us and shows us the emptiness of this world. Uh, he says in verse 17, and the world that is the community of people with defiled hearts, that want to be rulers of their own world. The world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What if this December period you were to realize that? Uh, we were to come to the realization that the world and the things that we love and dedicate our lives to are passing away. That they transient. Is that the word? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's big weight, isn't it? <laughs> they, they just fade just like that. Um, they fade just like that. They desire to outshine others, to accumulate things, and particularly for Midrand culture, is often dead. Um, the pride of life says, outshine others. Shine. Get all that you can afford. Get that GTI, even if you can't afford it. Um, the world is built up in such a way as to just give us those things that we desire, isn't it? Um, they will tell you, no, balloon payment. Here's, here's what happens. You can afford this thing. <laughs> you can afford this thing. Um, if you just wait, this 30%, we cut it off. Ne? It's like it doesn't exist. And then you pay off this car. A couple of years later, there's a big mountain of debt waiting for us. That is midrand culture. That is how we structure ourselves. Because we want all things that are listening, uh, we are going to behave or deal with money in the way that feeds into our desires. But the more we realize that God's love for us is what makes us shine, the more you realize that and embrace that in your life, that this is where satisfaction is, in the presence of the one who loves me, that I don't need the approval of people. Do you realize how that leads us more and more to not love the world? Leads us more and more to realize and be wise in the way that we spend money. One of the deep temptations of December is going to be, and I think I'm preaching to myself as I'm preaching, David, do not love all things that are shiny and listening. Do not keep up with them as Ibogos. Amen. <laughs> you just can't afford it. Just live within your means. Uh, enjoy this December. Save up money so that, uh, Jen, you can afford a school uniform. For the very first time, I'll be buying school uniform. Amen. Um, our world, the world around us, the consumerism around us says, spend, 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 love this world, just go loose in, on your money, abandon your morals when it comes to that, um, but we know that the love of, of the Father is much greater, and that the love that motivates us in whatever ethical situation to choose God. Okay, you're not going to implement rules by saying, let's not go to the mall. That's not going to make you uh, spend money wisely. Amen. You ought to be loving um, your obedience, rather your acceptance by God more than anything. That is what Thomas calls the power of the new affection. When we love God more and when we find him more satisfying, the more and more, uh, the more and more we're going to love the world less. John Piper put it this way. He said, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. When we're most satisfied in God, he is more glorified in us. Uh, he is shown to be much more beautiful in our lives. Uh, and that's the way that you and I, this December, are going to fight off our love for this world, our love for the things that we see, uh, the things that we desire. Not only that, uh, but the pride of life, which is the love of everything that's listening. Uh, we ought to recognize that the problem starts from here. And there's another guy by the name of St. Augustine. Uh, he's an African theologian. St. Augustine knew this in his own struggle of uh, obeying God. He knew this uh, fight that is within us. 
Um, he lived a, a loose life. He was quite a smart guy from uh, North Africa. He lived this perfect life, and he had this deep um, addiction to things I would not mention um, um, because of our audience. Um, he had this deep um, addiction um, to Ezotanzi. <laughs> That's how I would call it, um, of the bedroom. And so he grappled with this thing because he found it not satisfying, but he found himself drawn more and more to this thing. And he later on embraced or was embraced by Jesus. And he writes this book called The Confessions. And this is what he says as he reflects on his own uh, life back then as a non-believer. He says that the enemy had control of my will, and out of it he fashioned a chain and bound me with it. For in truth, lust is made out of a perverse will, and when lust is served, when we serve our lust, it becomes a habit, and when habit is not resisted, it becomes necessity. In other words, something that we cannot live without. He came to realize that uh, that uh, God, that the, the enemy, rather, Satan, uh, used his own desires to chain him. But God was much greater um, in his life. He showed him the beauty of turning towards him, and he confesses this. And one of the things that he says that is powerful, uh, his powerful saying is this, that God, you have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And the very thing we ought to remember this uh, as we end of the year is that our hearts, our desires are restless. They're always searching for satisfaction until they find satisfaction in God. And I wonder for your own life what it would look like to find satisfaction in God. Uh, to run to him like we saw last week and to find satisfaction in his arms uh, so as he would lead us to love the world less and less, and to love him more. I wonder what that looks like for you. Let me pray for us that God will help us to love him and to not love the things of this world. Father God, we recognize our shortfall. Uh, We recognize that our hearts are sinful, Lord, that our hearts are always drawn to this strong desire, this strong desire to love sin and the things of this world over and above loving you. And those things are incompatible, Lord. And often as Christians, we grapple with uh, the love for this world. And I pray, Lord, that you turn our hearts to you, that you turn our hearts to not be restless, but to find rest in you, that we would enjoy this festive season with you at the top of our minds, knowing that in you there is joy, in you there is satisfaction, in you there is goodness, uh, in you there is life and life everlasting, uh, that this world will pass away, but your word and your promises will endure forever. I pray for those who are struggling in their faith, uh, that they would grow in loving and desiring you. I pray, Lord, for those who are putting in the fight against this world, against their deep, sinful desires, that you'd empower them by your Spirit. I pray for all of us, Lord, as we um, live the Christian life, uh, that we would see the progress of loving you more and more, 
as your gospel is applied to us, as we repent of our sin daily and embrace you, our Lord and our all. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen.